I'm Cullen Burke, and this is Cauldron, a history of the world battle by battle. Sleep poorly, you bastards, grumbled Colonel John Heath as he watched the Union officers trudge back down a snow-covered and corpse-strewn palisade. The emissaries had, under a flag of truce, brought a message for whoever was in command of Fort Donelson. It was most likely an agreement to negotiate a surrender of the fort. Yesterday's fight had started so well that, for a moment, Colonel Heath thought they might just make it. Hell, they might just win. But the South seemed to get a lot of tough breaks in the last 24 hours, mused the Colonel, as he folded his arms against the chilly early morning air. There was no point in delaying the inevitable. He watched for a moment longer as the soon-to-be victors grew smaller and smaller, threw his cigar stub aside, and began to head back. The HQ was in the ugly, long, and squat Dover Hotel, right down on the riverbank. Colonel Heath wasn't sure who was in charge of the garrison anymore, but he knew whoever it was, they'd be there. The gunboats that the Yanks had brought down from Fort Henry proved more bark than bite. Colonel Heath had heard from men that had been at that fight that these new technological monsters were impervious to artillery fire. The frightened faces from Fort Henry whispered about how that place had been pounded by shots so continuous that she fell in under two hours. Colonel Heath surmised there was likely more to it than just a couple of gunboats but when the very same ironclad steamed into view, he had to admit they struck a fearsome figure. Of course, Fort Donelson was no pushover, and Colonel Heath knew it. More a ring of earthworks and heavy artillery, Donelson used the land to perfection. A warren of trenches crisscrossed by streams and gullies, the landward side of Donelson was designed to play murder on anyone brave or dumb enough to attack it and the riverside of the fort wasn't much easier on the attacker. Fort Donelson stood high above the Cumberland River, and Colonel Heath knew all along the rock face there were dug-in artillery placements. When the Union ships chugged into firing range, the Confederate guns had them by the beard whiskers. Colonel Heath had whooped and hollered along with his men as they watched shot after shot lance down upon the outgunned ships. The Yankee gunboats just couldn't tilt up enough to get any real accurate shots off, and after a beating, they floated back to where they came from. Colonel Heath knew the battle hadn't been won, but it was a damn fine start. As he continued walking towards the Dover Hotel to deliver the Union message, Colonel Heath couldn't help but feel hot anger. Not with his men, hell. Not even with the enemy. No, his, his anger was for his superiors. After the river's success, they should have done something. Of course, the Union numbers soon swelled, and the fort was totally encircled, but even then there was a chance. The morning of the 15th, Generals Floyd and Pillow surprised the sleeping Union right wing. What had at first been a mad-dash breakout attempt had developed into a smashing victory. Had they just pushed a bit more, Colonel Heath thought they might have carried the day, might have rolled up the entire damn Union position. 
But instead, like a dullard that couldn't find victory with a map in two hands, the Confederate generals had called off the advance. By the end of the day, the positions of both sides were back to where they had started. Only difference now was the Confederates were exhausted and even more outnumbered. Colonel Heath knew things were getting desperate. He had heard grumbling from the men and even from some of the officers. Colonel Nate Forrest was telling everyone that cared to listen he hadn't joined up to quit and that he'd die before he spent one minute in a Yankee prison. Colonel Heath wasn't sure how he planned on getting out of the trap, but he figured if any man could, Forrest had a fair enough shot. The man had an intensity Colonel Heath found unnerving, but he was sure happy to have the cavalry man on the side of the south. The double porch of the Dover Hotel was dimly lit as Colonel Heath approached. The tired sentries posted at the door pushed off the wall and called out a curt command. On recognizing either the colonel or his rank, they returned to quietly smoking and leaning. Heath entered the foyer of the hotel only to be met by darkness. He waited a moment as his eyes adjusted, and then he saw down the hall to his right a golden line on the ground. He shuffled towards it and found the door handle. As Colonel Heath entered the so-called war room, he was struck by two thoughts so fast he wasn't sure which came before the other. One was that the room was almost empty of people, save for a lonely, hunched figure sitting by the fire. The other thought was how marvelously warm it was. Quickly, Heath saluted General Simon Bolivar Buckner and handed over the dispatch. He then peeled off his boots and collapsed into a chair near the fire, thrusting his sock-covered feet as close to the fire as he dared. Colonel Heath had expected Generals Pillow or Floyd to have fled. Both men were facing serious charges in the North. Floyd had even been a cabinet member for the previous administration, and it was rumored that he had used his influence to move weapons out of arsenals in the North into arsenals in the South even before the war had begun. If caught, they faced trial and maybe death. But that both men had snuck out the back door surprised Heath. If for no other reason than they had pride to preserve, he figured at least one of them might have stuck around to see the end of this nasty business. But, alas, it appeared not. Buckner was alone and in charge of a sinking ship. Colonel Heath liked the man. He was a good fighter, and he suspected if Buckner had been in charge all along, they very well might not have been in this situation to begin with. But there was nothing to be done about that now. Watching the sole Confederate commander... Colonel Heath wondered if he was ill. Buckner was naturally a well-built man, but he seemed hunched and older than when Colonel Heath saw him last. As Buckner read the letter, he was absently ripping at his large, bushy, handlebar mustache. He was tugging so hard his head was jerking to and fro. The news in it was never going to be good, but Colonel Heath didn't think there was any need for such an outward emotional display. Buckner was lucky it was only the two of them in the room. Did they accept your request, sir? Colonel Heath asked. 
Earlier, Buckner had sent a messenger to the Union side inquiring about terms of surrender. The rules of war called for the two sides to send delegates to negotiate the surrendering of a fort. It was just possible that the Confederates might be allowed to evacuate the fortress and live to fight another day. Nothing would be decided until the negotiations, though, and Colonel Heath hoped General Buckner was up to the task. At the moment, he looked unfit to shine his own boots, let alone negotiate terms with the enemy. Shaking and pale, Buckner whispered more to himself than anyone, We will be the first, and they will hate us. From Texas to Virginia, people will be cursing this army in the name Buckner too. How could he, that man? He's some kind of Cossack, a barbarian. Colonel Heath rose from his seat and went to Buckner. Simon, what could he possibly have said? There's no shame in evacuation. We saved the army. People will understand. Buckner slapped the letter into Colonel Heath's hand and slid back into the chair he had been in when the colonel first arrived. God damn you. Go on, read it for yourself. Sir, yours of this date, proposing armistice and appointment of commissioners to settle terms of capitulation is just received. No terms except unconditional and immediate surrender can be accepted. I propose to move immediately upon your works. I am, sir, very respectfully, your obedient servant, U.S. Grant, Brigadier General. Colonel Heath slowly pulled out a flask of brandy, threw back a hearty gulp and handed the paper and the flask to Buckner. The soon-to-be-labeled most hated man in the Confederacy put them both on the table and pulled out a pencil and pad. Colonel Heath watched him as he began to write a response that would undoubtedly meet Grant's demands. He had to. To do anything otherwise would mean the deaths of hundreds, maybe thousands, to no purpose at all. Colonel Heath knew what this would mean for the cause. Buckner's would be the first army of the Confederacy of any size to surrender. A key fort to control the West would be lost, and the new nation would be split more easily than ever. And Buckner himself, personally, would bear the brunt of the public outcry. For some, he would be the object of contempt and hate as long as he lived. But, thought Colonel Heath, there was a more profound and more disconcerting idea that popped into his mind. If the Union was willing to be this harsh with a little garrison on a river out west, far away from Washington and New York and the glitz of the East Coast, what would they be like with the South as a whole? He didn't like where that line of thought brought him, so instead Colonel Heath decided to focus on what was in front of him. By the time he'd gotten his boots back on, Buckner had finished his curt, indignant, but ultimately acquiescing response. Without looking up, he handed it to Colonel Heath, and Heath left the room. As he walked down the hall to the front door, the morning light came through the windows just enough so he could make his way without trouble. 
As Colonel Heath opened the door, he heard the soft murmur of an exhausted man's snores. One of the sentries was sleeping where he stood. As his friend reached over to shake him awake, Colonel Heath stopped the man and signaled for him to leave the sleeping man be. There would be many sleepless nights ahead and tiring days to boot. Let the poor soul have a few moments while he could. As the sun started to pour like honey over the hills and through the trees, Colonel Heath began to trek back towards the Union lines. As he walked over and on to the palisade where he had left the two Union men earlier, he decided to have himself a little stop, a nice early morning smoke, and a little bit more of that brandy. He knew that there would be many days to come where he might not have either. That was the story of completely fictional Colonel Heath and his experience as the go-between as the Union and Confederate forces were trading uh, uh, negotiations or letters about the surrender of the fort. Um, as with all these historical fiction um, stories that I put together, they are completely made up. However, they are attempting to kind of shine a light on a larger moment or an important moment or event within the battle itself. I thought this was, for me, this is the most interesting part of the battle of Fort Donaldson's story. I think it shows some incredible insight into to, um, General Grant's psyche, how he reads his opponent, how he views the Confederacy, um, and ultimately what his plans are for the, the South and the Confederacy as a whole as the war moves forward. Um, the fact that he truly saw them as rebels and not enemy combatants uh, will, will play a larger and larger role as Grant becomes more and more, more and more of a force in the, the war as a whole picture. I hope you enjoyed it. Again, hang around tomorrow night, 8 o'clock, for the live stream where we're going to talk um, ironclads and uh, we'll, we'll delve into uh, some of the themes of this story. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, and the full story of Fort Donaldson, the full episode that we normally do, the regular show, Cauldron, will be up on Friday. So uh, don't forget to check that out. As always, please rate, review, subscribe, share with a friend, share with a family member, share with a stranger. Um, just try and get the name out there as much as possible. I, uh, again, I hope you really enjoyed it. Have a great night, and uh, we'll talk to you on Friday.